Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We're in the second part of a series called Let Let There Be Love. Let There Be Love. And um, when we were going through it last week, we went into the story of the Good Samaritan. And this was something that was an answer of this high and mighty lawyer when he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked this lawyer, well, what does the law say and what's your interpretation of it? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And from that launching point, Jesus destroyed his loophole because his loophole was his neighbor, right? My neighbor's my friend. My neighbor's my, the guy next door, right? We have coffee in the morning or, you know, I borrow the lawnmower. That's my neighbor. We babysit each other's kids. That's my neighbor. And, and Jesus said, uh, essentially, no, your neighbor is the one that you despise or the one that despises you. Your neighbor is not the person that you like. Your neighbor is not the person that is like you. In fact, your neighbor is not even the person that likes you. They may despise you. That's, I don't know about you, but it disappoints me a little bit. Because I feel a little bit like the lawyer. Like, I want to be able to ignore the person that despises me. Now, I might be able to be a good Christian and love people, like work past my disdain for certain segments of our population. Like I see people wearing Patriot jerseys and shirts here today. I work past my disdain for you. Now, the Lord's going to make the Bills win, lose today. Um, Lord, please don't. Don't, don't hold me responsible. Um, but, you know, you work, Pat, you might be, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to love that person that I don't agree with. I'm going to love that person that, that loves the Patriots. I'm going to love that person. Like, for me, I don't mind the Patriots. I hate, hate the Cowboys. Any true Bills fan hates the Cowboys for what they did to us. And uh, so, so you can be a good Christian and be like, I'm going to love this person that I absolutely disagree with. I'm going to love this person who is pro-choice. I'm going to love this person who is pro-high taxes. I'm going to love a Democrat. I know some of you guys are going, I'm not. Well, you all should. And some of you are, I, I know, listen, in my church, I know that some of you are Democrats. I know that. Some of you watch it online. And you're doing the same thing. Well, I'm going to love, a Rep- I'm going to love someone that I, that I don't like. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to be spiritual. But it's a different story 
when you're loving someone that doesn't love you. It's a different story when you're loving someone that's attacking you. When you're loving someone that despises you, it's a little bit more intense. I mean, it's intense enough when God calls you to love people that you don't like, that are not like you. But when He calls you to love people who despise you, that's a whole other level. Now, I want to get into this a little bit further today in case we didn't ruffle enough feathers last week. We're going to look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. This is what he said. You have heard it said. This is a, by the way, just read chapter 5 through chapter, I want to say 7. It's what I refer to as kingdom law. All right, it is, it is what we as believers, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, these are things that we should be striving toward. They are impossible things, generally speaking, but they should be things that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are growing toward, that we are striving toward. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know Jesus yet as your Savior, He's going to say some things that you're going to look at, and just like he said to that, that lawyer, right? He's going to say some things that, that you're going to say, that's not possible. And then the answer to that is, of course it's not possible. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need a Savior, because we are sinners by choice and by birth. Now, once you've been saved, this is something that you should be striving toward. This is sanctification. This is kingdom law. This is what Christians around the country and around the world should be representing. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. I can agree with that. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, that you may be called the sons of your Father in heaven. Because once you have received Christ as your Savior, you are born again and adopted into the family of God. You can never lose your salvation. You are sealed (coughs) by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. He holds you in His hand and He will never, ever let you go. But for the world to see that you are a son, you must live kingdom living, kingdom law. So, love your neighbor. Do these things and you'll be called the sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on evil and on good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? It's kind of funny to me how tax collectors, what do you think of tax collectors? What do you think of the IRS? You, know, you love them? It like, it, that's one of the things that you don't have to have a cultural historical study for to know that tax collectors are the scourge of the earth and everyone hates them. If you're working for the IRS, we love you. <laughs> love you. Ugh. So, that's what Jesus, when he says tax collector, that means the person, listen, everybody, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, we can all agree that we all hate tax collectors. 
I mean, hate's a strong word, but this is what Jesus, he's like, even the, mo- even the lowest of the low love their friends, right? He's like, even the, even the tax collector loves the ones that love them, right? That's what he's saying. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? And again, kingdom law is calling us to be more than right? Christians are supposed to be more than, right? If you're living the same life you lived before Jesus, you are not living a Christian's life. We're to to be more, right? What do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so. Therefore, (laughs) you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So if we didn't get the point from the, from the, illustration, the parable of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus now is not mincing words. He's, he's, he is being very direct. He's calling a spade a spade. He's not waffling. Love your enemy. That's weird. Everything's going wrong on my screen. I don't know what's going on back there. That says enemy in case you couldn't figure it out. So, love your enemy. I'm just going to I need this. Where are you at on this this morning? Church, where are you at on this this morning? Whether you're church online, church in person, where are you at? I want you to grade yourself. You are now standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And you are going to be rewarded or you're going to lose rewards. Where are you? Judge yourself. So what does he say? What does he say? He says to do what to those that curse you? What are we supposed to do that curse us? Those that curse us. It's working now. Bless them. I've talked to my children on this. They hate being used as examples. And so I just consider this the discipline they should have gotten that I missed. I'll I'll pick on Chloe mostly because I think Nate has a softer heart. Um, Not that Chloe doesn't. And listen, there's a difference between allowing someone to bully you or someone else and loving those that, that hate you and blessing those that curse you. She had a hard time with this one. She had a hard time with this one. I'm not going to say that she's not still having a hard time with this one. I am not going to bless someone who is cursing me. Will not happen. That's a very natural, human thing to do. Jesus is being crucified, and he blesses those who are crucifying. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Those that are cursing us. Listen, again, I said I have Democrats, I have Republicans that are part of my church family. Someone I love very dearly holds the opposite positions that I do on almost everything. She's, uh, she's someone that, that I invested in her life when she was younger and, and I still love her to death. And I think she loves me. She's like my daughter. But we are diametrically opposed on certain things. 
we need to bless those that curse us. We need to love those that, that live differently than us. He says, what are we supposed to do that to those? So, all right. Somebody's cursing you out. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? F you. Bless me. Thank you. Bless those that curse you. And cursing is, I, I mean, I make light of it. I probably should have said the word because, I mean, it's not in the Bible that you can't say that word. You shouldn't say things that are sensual and sexually deviant. It's less the word that you say and how you use them. So when we talk about cursing others, they're talking about people that want to corrupt you, to, to verbally destroy you. Right? That's, we're not talking about somebody who says, ah, oh, F you, whatever. We're talking about someone that has corrosive communication. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the edification, right? the building up of those people that are made in the image of God. So when people are cursing us, it's not just about them cussing us out when we're on the road. It's about a literal desire to see us fail and to be destroyed. And God says, bless them. Now, I know I think down in the South, they say, I'm going to bless them out. Bless them out. But bless them. Bless them. And then he said, for those that hate you, what are we supposed to do to those that hate us? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do to people that hate us? Can you imagine being in the first century church, sitting on the hillside? This is a Sermon on the Mount. It's overlooking the Sea of um, Gadara on the left. I can see it in my mind. Galilee. And uh, sitting on this hillside, it's beautiful. And he starts to preach to them things. Yeah, at first, they're not, it's not bad. Blessed are you, right? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, happy. Great. I love that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, I love that. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all manner of ill against you. This is getting uncomfortable. I mean, I was with you poor in spirit. I was with you on the peacemaking. I but now we're getting, this is not comfortable. Do good to people that hate me? You've got to be kidding me. Who does that? Christians do that. Christians do that on both sides of the political aisle. And I know I'm talking political stuff because, guys, it's current events, honey. If you can't figure that out, um, you live with your head in the sand. Our country is full of hate right now. I'll give you an example. It is hot up here. Why did I wear my Columbia sweatshirt? Um, there is a young woman, early middle age, named Kara, She's on Instagram. She's an influencer. But she's more than a ditzy influencer. Her, 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 and I want you all to do this. Will you all do this? Go on her Instagram page and follow her. It's called Taking Care of Babies. Her name's Kara. So cute. So I went on her page and followed her. Even though my babies are all grown up and I'm going to ignore most of her posts, Unless they show up in my feed, and then I'll, I'll hit a like. She has 1.2 or 5 million followers. In 2013, 
She's a, ne- a neonatal nurse, so she nurses kids that are pre preemies. She nurses kids like Josh and April's children. She nurses kids that are born with spinal bifida. She nurses kids that are in crisis. That's what her job was. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's pro-life. I mean, just saying that abortions happen to children of the age, the gestational age that she is caring for and helping to survive, okay? So I'm going to go out on a limb and say she believes that those are viable children, all right? So she has a tremendous business. She, she notices that other parents around her are sleep-deprived and miserable and can't even seem to function And so she goes and she becomes a certified sleep specialist and she writes a program through trial and error and all of her experience on helping parents help their children to sleep. Boy, do I wish we had that when Kirsten was a baby. Nate and Chloe were perfect. Kirsten was a monster. And uh, so she, 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 she creates this curriculum. She creates a small business. Her husband is a Filipino American He is a naturalized citizen. His mother moved here and lived here for 10 years as a nurse, worked her way through the system to the point where she could bring her family legally to America because she wanted them to succeed in ways they would never have a chance at if they stayed in the Philippines. He was one of her her children. He's a pediatrician. One of her other children is a police officer. Another children is in the military. They've all gone on and done wonderful things. (coughs) anyways so her husband is filipino american she's an amazing nurse right helps out a ton of people i'm reading reviews people are saying she's wonderful she's compassionate she's kind you go on her page it looks like a baby page like you know pastels and peach and just so warm and inviting and then some person and i i don't remember their name decided that they're going to investigate the public records of everyone that donated to the Trump campaign, Trump PACs, etc. Because how else would they know? So they're going through the FECs. It's all public. And apparently, this is an assumption, I have to believe they're going after influencers. They find her name and that she donated to the Trump campaign or the PAC you know, a PAC is political action, political action committee, about 30 or 40 times between 2016 and 2019, and that her husband also donated. Okay. Guess what they're doing? Do you know what these people are doing now? No, oh, they're doing more than bashing her. They have posted it online. Another influencer posted it online and said, if you support her, you support caging babies, and um, we can't support racists. They ought to make all these assumptions about this woman because she contributed to this campaign. Now, I don't care where you guys vote. I mean, I do, but I don't. It's not my business. It's not my business. She came out with a statement, and she said this. I agree with many of the policies or positions that President Trump held, and some I did not. Some I did not. My page is not about politics. It's about helping parents. It's a help, a, about helping parents. She had other influencers who had teamed up with her, abandon her, and cancel her. And to read their commentary is to read 
the emotionally, I'm going to say, immature instead of what I want to say. Because they're beside themselves. I can't believe that I teamed up with this person and they supported Trump and she's a racist and she hates children. But my experience with her is that her program works and she was always really kind and nice to me. Her husband's Filipino-American, so I'm sure that she's a terrible racist. Another company said, uh, I was shocked and devastated to find out that my dear friend did this and I had no idea because she's always been so kind and so compassionate and so caring and loving to everyone. And I'm just shocked. It's so disturbing. But this person said, but she's my friend. And so we're going to work through it. Hate you. These people hate her. And so far, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, she's taken the high road. Do good to those that hate you. Not only are these enemies of hers doxing, I don't know if they've given her address out yet, maligning her on the internet, they are now offering to share the materials that she produced for free to other people so that she doesn't make any money off them so she can't support evil racists. Hey, if you want her program, hit me up. I'll get you a free copy. So they're going to make copies of it. That's illegal. And so she should go after them, and I hope that she does. But she should also do good to them. Don't return hate for hate. Now, I said that because this is, guys, this is the world we live in. This is the world we live in. And it's not just that side. Y'all that are thinking that I'm just against liberals, um, you'd be mistaken because there's people on the other side, extreme, that are just as nuts. They're just as crazy. And there's so much hate being spewed on both sides that no one will listen to each other, much less do good to each other. I was having a conversation with Mackenzie before service. This is a wicked bright kid. And, uh, and we were kind of talking about how the fact that people can't hear other people anymore. Frank Luntz is a, is a uh, focus group professional. He used to be a pollster. And during the inaugural address, he put together a focus group, 50% Trump supporters, 50% Biden supporters, to um, poll them live during the inaugural address to see how they felt about certain points. His Zoom call with these people descended into utter chaos as they constantly talked over each other and no one would listen to another. And even when he, as the host, said, please, please, everybody stop talking, ignored him, that is what's happening. And so when we preach about loving your enemies and you wonder why I'm talking about right, left, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, you wonder why I'm alluding to that while I'm preaching this, because it's happening. And Christians are getting sucked up into the furor when the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't mean you don't stand for what's right. Don't Listen, I, I've been backhandedly accused of being a pansy. And anybody that knows me, I think, would recognize that's an idiotic statement. 
Because my default position is I like a good fight. My other default position is I'm an instigator. I have to rely and be led by the Holy Spirit not to do those things on a regular basis. Hate you, do good to them. Spitefully use you. Now there's people that they live their lives like this. No one is going to get the upper hand on me. Nobody is going to use me. Nobody. There couldn't be a more unchristian thing to say. I want, Listen, man, when they nail my coffin shut, if they still do that, I want to be used up by the time I'm done. I don't want to have anything left in the tank. I don't ever want to retire. Right? You follow what I'm saying? I want to serve God, serve Jesus, and serve others and be used up. What good is dying when you have something left in the tank? You know what I'm saying by tank? Like your tank is full or empty? I want to have an empty tank when I finally die. I don't want to leave anything on the table. Why would you want to? But he's not just saying, pray for those that use you. He's praying, he's saying, pray for those that spitefully use you. I mean, there's people that are going to use you. They're just ignorant. They don't know any better. But then there's people that are going to use you on purpose to get a fast one. There's people that come to our church, you know, and they ask for help. And we have a procedure where we figure out whether um, we should help them or not because we're not going to be fools. But at the same time, I tell my leadership, so what? So what? If they come and get food from the food bank and they're lying about their income and they're lying about their need and they're going to take those turkeys and they're going to go sell them to somebody down the street, so what? So what? Pray for them. Pray for them. And now, now he, <laughs> he gets, I mean, that, that's... That's enough, right? We get, to, we get to those that hate us. We get to those that, uh, that spitefully use us. Uh, we get to those that curse us. And, and that's difficult enough. And then he gets to those that... Um, can somebody read that? Did you hear me hit my tooth with the edge of the cup? That was awesome. How did the church in the first century react to persecution? Because I think this is an important question. We need to understand how our ancestors respond and react, reacted to persecution. He says, pray for them. So I want to take you for a little walk here, the time we have left. Back into the book of Acts, chapter 16. This should be up on the Bible app, by the way, if you're taking notes. And, um, Acts chapter 16, verse 20. We're going to pick it up here. I'll give you a real quick backstory. The Apostle Paul is in this town at Philippi. And um, slide change error. Again? Really? This is so annoying. He's at, he's at, a, he's at a church in Philippi. And um, I'm sorry, he's at Philippi. He's trying to plant a church there. And he is being hounded by this woman of divination. So she's like a figure like the occult, a, pro, a, a, a fortune teller. Think of that, right? Except she had power. She had supernatural power. She was possessed by an evil spirit. 
and she was following them around and saying, these are the men of God and the men of God and probably mocking them. And, and so he finally had enough and he says, come out from her. And he heals her on the spot, casts the demon out. And, uh, and of course, the people that owned her and made their living off this poor girl who was being abused because she's possessed by an evil spirit. And guys, that's a definition of abuse. And being used by these horrible men, all of a sudden they lost their moneymaker. So now they're mad. They drag Paul and Silas to the magistrates and they're going to lie about them and they're going to try to get them in trouble. So, bear with me for just a second while I try to figure out what the heck is happening here. <clears throat> da, da, da. Preach. Find out where I'm at. Acts, okay. They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. The real reason they took them to the magistrates is because they lost this girl who had been abused by this evil spirit, and when they lost her, they lost their income. So this is just a convenient excuse to drag Paul and Silas up before the magistrates. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And at midnight, but at midnight, Saul and, uh, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Do you imagine that? Now, they're thrown into the inner prison. The inner prison was like a, there's a hole in the ground, and down inside the hole is like this cave, and they tossed them down to the cave, and their, their feet are in stocks, and it's miserable. It's probably, uh, it's, it's either mildew, there's rats, and they're down there, and instead of going, I hate Republicans. I hate Democrats. I hate Romans. They started to pray and sing. And the other prisoners were like, whoa, what is going on? Suddenly, they're praying, they're singing. There's a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and their chains fell off or loosened. I'm thinking by the description, that this was no ordinary earthquake. Because I don't know an earthquake that's going to take shackles off your feet. Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners, living in absolute squalor here, could have chosen to escape in the night and in the chaos. The keeper of the prison freaks out. Wakes from sleep, seeing the prison doors were open and supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because he was being held responsible for the prisoners in that prison, not just Paul and Silas, but murderers, rapists, thieves, and whatever their sentence is, he would likely have gotten. 
And so he's going to beat them to it and kill himself. What happens? <clears throat> Paul called, I'm sorry, Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Again, he is, come on, freaked out. He's freaked out. Totally freaked out. He thinks that he is going to be killed. He thinks he's going to die. He's in massive trouble. And then this voice, it's the most beautiful voice he's ever heard. Hey, we're still here. Give me a light. He's got to verify. Give me a light. He goes in and he falls down before Paul and Silas. And he's trembling. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, now, did he mean, sirs, I know I'm a sinner before a holy God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to receive forgiveness of my sins? I think that you're reading a little bit into it at that point. I think he's saying, what do I do to keep you guys here and not lose my life? What do I have to do to keep these murderers in their cages? Right? Now, Paul, being the brilliant evangelist he is, he takes a current day situation, political disaster in my case, and he applies it with the Spirit. And he says, oh, what must you do to be saved? Well, let me tell you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. Now, that's not enough for him to understand the gospel. Some people think it is. Did this jailer even know who Jesus is? I kind of doubt it. He probably heard the name because there was quite an uproar when Jesus was crucified and went missing, right? The next phrase I think is really important. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. It wasn't some cheap one, two, three, repeat after me, kind of pray and be saved kind of thing. It was Jesus is God the Son. He came to earth to pay the penalty for all the sins of the world. He went to the cross and he took your place so that God could look at you with, with forgiveness and, and, and love and acceptance. And you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So you know, he's elaborating. He's, he opened up with this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then he opens up the scriptures to him and he preaches Jesus to him. And he shares with this guy how supernaturally awesome Jesus is, right? You follow what I'm saying? He's telling them about Jesus. They believe, they get saved, his family gets saved, and then they take him in the same hour, washed their stripes, and that's not meaning like he's having a striped shirt. It means they whipped him and his flesh was bared open. Right? When they, listen, when they punished people, they knew how to punish them. He was brutally beaten. He had, he had uh, cuts on his back. So they washed their cuts. And then he was baptized in his family. This guy that trusted Christ didn't trust him halfway. He trusted him all the way. I want to follow Jesus. And so they baptized him. And his family. Now, when he brought them out into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. And when it was day, the magistrate sent officers saying, Let those men go. Evidently, the magistrates found out that they really screwed up royally. 
The keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. And Paul's like, I don't think so. Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. He was a citizen of Rome. And it was illegal for citizens of Rome to be beaten like that. It was illegal. You follow what I'm saying? That's not saying like uh, taking care of babies. There's illegal things being done. There are laws in place for a reason. Use them. So they've thrown us into prison and we are Roman citizens? I don't think so. And now, do they put us out secretly? They beat us publicly? Humiliated us publicly? And the accusation was because we were preaching Christ, not because of the loss of income. The accusation was because we were preaching Christ, crucified the only way to heaven. Right? Remember, Caesar is God. It's kind of a big deal if you're preaching another king. And now they want to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come out themselves. Let them come get us themselves. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Romans. And they came and pleaded with them, please, 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 just leave. Just leave. Please don't make a big deal of this. Because if you make a big deal of this, we are probably going to lose our positions of authority and maybe even more. So would you please just go? Paul went out of the prison. Did he go? He went to Lydia's house. Lydia lived in Philippi. She was a, a, a seller of textiles. And she was one of the very first people that believed in Jesus in the city of Philippi. He preached to her and some of her friends by a river. And uh, so he goes to Lydia's house and a church is being, this, like, a church is being formed right here. And he goes to Lydia's house and he encourages the brethren. How does he encourage them? The same way I'm encouraging you right now. You might feel like this is a beatdown. It's not. I'm encouraging you to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. He encouraged them and then he departed. What can we learn from all of this? So, let's be practical. Oh, that's what it says on the slide. We can learn some things from Paul and Silas when we're facing hatred and persecution. What can we learn? Well, first of all, Paul was where he needed to be. I'm not going to get into this at length, but some Christians are not where they need to be. And you're being persecuted, and y'all deserve it. <laughs> um, he was where he needed to be. He was trying to go into another part of the world. He had a vision of a man in Macedonia, and Philippi, Philippi as a city in Macedonia, calling to him. And so he answered the call of God to go where he was supposed to be. And when he was there, he knew he was in the perfect will of God. And so no matter what happened to him, what did he know? God was with him. God was with him. So, number one, we can learn from Paul and Silas that we need to focus on Jesus in times of great strife, persecution, and chaos. Guys, the state that our nation is in right now the Christians of this country need to get their minds set on Jesus. Set your minds on things above, 
not on things of earth. Uh, the history of the world is rife with the persecution of Christians. And often when the church of Christ is persecuted, it grows. The church in China is under tremendous persecution and it is growing like weeds. And the more they try to stamp it out, the stronger it gets. Folks, we need to focus on Jesus. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. The account that we have is they chose to worship. I can't imagine what they're going through. It's dark, and they are wounded badly. Badly wounded. Their backs were probably ribbons, shredded. And they're sitting on the floor. Go, go online and look up Philippi and look up the prisons and, and see the conditions that they were in. It was not good. And they're down in the dark. Can you imagine how they felt physically, painfully? And the pain was put upon them illegally and unjustly. And what do you hear them doing first? Singing and praying. Praising and praying God. Bloody backs from beatings they endured. Feet held fast and stalked. And at midnight they're praying and they're singing. They didn't curse those who persecuted them. Even when he dealt with those magistrates and said, you come down to me. He wasn't cursing them. He wasn't belittling them. He wasn't hating those that hated him. His first and most important focus was on God. Those of you that are panicking in this country, whether you're left or right, and four years ago, I saw the left panicking like I've never seen them panic before. And four years from then, I see the right panicking like they haven't since probably President Obama. And what I see is a cycle that when President Reagan was elected, people were calling him stupid. They were panicking. He's got the button. He's got the nuclear football. He's a crazy cowboy. He's going to bring us into nuclear war with Russia. Did it happen? Not yet. Right? And, and then when W got in, nobody, care, right? nobody cared about HW because he was kind of like, my name is George. Uh, he was sort of milk to, although he was a, he was, listen, he was a war hero. He was a lot, made of a lot sterner stuff than people thought he was. And then uh, Clinton came in, and, and now the, the right is going, oh my God, Clinton is the Antichrist. Right? Freaking out. The republic is destroyed. And then, <laughs> I have COVID brain. Um, w comes in. And that, listen, the division and the hatred now is escalating like it never has before. If you want to look and see, like, when did the bomb drop on civility? Leading up to that, a few years prior to that, right? Left, right, everybody's panicking. They said the same thing about W that they said about Reagan. He's a cowboy. He's going to get us in a nuclear war. Bush lied. People died. They're burning him. They're hanging him in effigy. They're writing books on how to assassinate President George W. Bush. Like, people went nuts. Uh, and then Obama comes in. He's going to fundamentally transform, transform America. We won't recognize it. He's a communist. 
He's this, he's that. He's going to destroy the country. Eight years goes by. We're still here. It's still okay. All of the fanatical, this is the most important election that we've ever voted for. Nothing real. I mean, there's some stupid stuff that all of these presidents have done. Some that I wouldn't do. Some that I loathe. I loathe. But folks, the hyperbole is insane. We need to have our focus on Jesus. He's still on the throne. He is still in control. And he still calls Christians to love their enemies and bless those that curse them and pray for those that persecute them and that hate them. This is the calling, Christians. We can disagree vehemently. We can argue. Nothing wrong with argument. I've argued with God plenty of times. Heck, I don't agree with myself half the time. There's nothing wrong with arguing. There's nothing wrong with debate. I love my son. He, he has uh, adopted a wonderful way of debating with his contemporaries. I was actually on his Instagram reading some messages between him and this other kid. Political debate. And I was like, these two kids are incredible. They're respectful of each other. They're listening to each other. Neither one changed each other's mind. But neither one of them led or ended with hate. Guys, we need to learn how to love and we need to learn how to argue well. So first of all, focus on Jesus. Secondly, secondly, and we're going to wrap this up quickly. Don't be vengeful. Don't be vengeful. Instead of causing the death, listen guys, <laughs> instead of causing the death of the guard, and the, and the guard that very likely was the one that held the whips that shredded his back. Instead of leaving him to be killed, they stayed in place. He could have gotten revenge very easily if he had left. There's, listen, there's no vindictiveness in the Apostle Paul here. There's no vengeance in the Apostle Paul here. And we see when he wrote the Ro to Romans, he said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. In Romans chapter 13, it's a tremendous exposition of how we as Christians should act toward each other and toward the, toward the world. And here we see it's practically being, it's practically being born, born out where he does not take revenge, but instead, instead, he introduces his enemy to Jesus and his enemy becomes his friend. It's an amazing, amazing thing. There's no mocking, no shouting, no accusing. They sang throughout the night and they thought of the welfare of the enemy. Tremendous, tremendous. He said this, he said this, the enemy, the, the, enemy, the, the jailer, he's freaking out. And in the, in the cave where they're kept, in the inner prison, Paul yells out, Do thyself no harm. Man, are we seeing that kind of language from people that claim Christ? Or are we saying, I hope you kill yourself and die? And I know you say this, well, they're saying it. They're saying it. They're saying it. I'm going to say one thing. Like, I was, I was raised old-fashioned. My mama and my dad raised me. I told you one of the sayings, right? Money doesn't grow on. Were you raised in a, right? You follow me. Uh, the other one was, if your friend jumps off a bridge, 
You're going to follow him, jump off too? In this case, it would probably be like if Randy jumped off a bridge, would you jump off too, my brother? Because he probably would. And he was my big brother, and I kind of hear worshiped him, so I probably would have too. Folks, our reaction and response cannot be governed by what has been perpetrated against us. He wasn't vengeful. What else do we see? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes love is demonstrated best by what we don't say and by what we don't do. Just consider that for a second. Next, he shared the gospel. He shared the gospel with his enemy. He shared the gospel with the one that hates him. He shared the gospel with somebody that had no idea really who Jesus was and why it was important that he died on that cross. He shared the gospel with his enemy, with compassion and completeness. I mentioned that he didn't just say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he went on from there and exposited the word of God to this man and his family so they could fully understand the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he did this. He, he didn't just preach the gospel to them. They trusted Christ as their Savior. And then he did this. He welcomed them into his family. Now, I'm sure that this Roman citizen, this jailer, and his family did not automatically stop being idiots. Have you? Evidently not. Um, have I? Just ask my wife. We hardly ever argue. Like, I mean, discuss and whatever. And the other day, I was, I was really amped up about something and she didn't want to talk about it and I felt like I should have the right to talk about it with you because you're my wife. And she's like, I'm so sick of talking about this. And I'm like, but you talk about it at work. And we're just having this sort of, I was being rather immature. And uh, Nate's in the back seat like, oh. <laughs> and Trish goes in the house. He's like, Dad, you aren't going to get anywhere. Why don't you just let it go? Um, out of the mouth of, hey, babe. Uh, so we, we welcome the lost. We welcome them before, before they change. We welcome them before they agree with us. We welcome them before they understand the principles of God. We welcome, we welcome them before their moral compass has shifted the direction of their life. Can you imagine if you get saved and you are so far from God that you believe some outlandish, crazy things, right? That you, your moral compass was so broken and then you come to Jesus. Guys, can you imagine? You want to talk about culture, shock. There's a lot of work that the Holy Spirit is now beginning to do in their hearts. And they are shook. And little by little, He's going to challenge them and confront them on their core beliefs. And that's going to take some time. What do we do until then? Well, folks, that's what we call this the church of broken people. If your church, is, if you, if your church isn't messy, your church is dead. Everyone is at a different place in their journey of faith. He welcomed them into the family of God. He baptized them. He didn't hold their persecution against them. In fact, he loved them. So as we have the worship team come, the last thing I want to 
bring up. Is um, I don't even know which switcher I've got here. Use the law well. Use the laws well. Paul was a Roman citizen. And this may not be the best place to end, but it's kind of where the story ended. He went to Lydia's house and hung out with her. He used the laws well. What do I mean by that? As I studied this out, Paul was not just calling for the magistrates to rub their nose in their poop. You know what I mean? You got a dog, he poops in the house, you'd grab his nose and push it in the poop and say, bad dog! Not really a good way to train your dog, but that's how I grew up. And I'm uh, not really sure it worked for Edgar because he's a few cards short of a full deck. That's my dog. He used the law as well, and, and this is what most, most people that have studied the culture and the time of Paul, this is what most of them say. The reasoning behind Paul calling for the magistrates to come and publicly release him, first of all, it was justice. They publicly beat him. And they were wrong. They need to publicly release him. But listen, again, why was he beaten? What was the premise for his abuse? Do you remember? They're causing all sorts of trouble, preaching and teaching things that Roman citizens are not allowed to do, right? What, what was he preaching and teaching? Jesus Christ crucified, buried, raised from the dead, the one and only true God. That's what he was preaching. So when he called them to come down, this is what the, the evidence points toward. He's using the law well by protecting that baby church from retribution. By them coming publicly to dismiss him and to free him, that indicates that those that have believed what he said, that they were going to be safer. So he used the laws well. He wasn't a selfish and self-centered person. It was all about Jesus. And church, I don't know what's going to happen in our country in the next four, eight, twelve years. I don't know. I know I keep hearing hyperbolic language. No matter who gets elected, it's always the most important election that we've ever voted. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the United States of America is going to rise or going to fall. I don't know. I know in the book of Revelation, where God teaches us about the end times, there appears to be no information on the United States of America. Does that mean we exist? Does that mean our country fell apart and is no longer there? I, it just doesn't talk about us. We're not really an important player in the end times, which makes you think, because we're a pretty dang important player right now, aren't we? But in the end times, not so much. So I don't know, but I know this, that if we want to represent Christ well, we need to start living by a higher standard, a kingdom law. We need to love not only our friends, but our enemies too. We need to bless those that curse us. We need to pray for those that hate us and that persecute us. I wonder what Paul was praying when he was in jail at midnight. I wonder if Paul was saying, Lord, would you give me a chance to witness to my jailer? 
Lord, I would really love to see him come to Christ. Could you imagine, like, what was he praying? I wonder if that's what he was praying. Some people might be thinking, he was like, Lord, get us out of here. But remember, Paul, he was about Jesus. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to be persecuted. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to be ridiculed. And he answered the call anyways. And he loved well. He used the laws well. And he represented the Lord Jesus Christ well. I hope that whoever you are, whether you're on the right or on the left, whether you're in the center, that you would treat people with dignity and respect and remember that you represent Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. doesn't mean you can't argue. It doesn't mean you can't debate. It means that you do it with character and integrity. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.